that will be there as part of that class that you can get to know and build relationships with. Uh, we'll have part of our elders who will come to um, these some of the sessions. You can get to know them. You can get to know Karen and I and see our kids and uh, uh, eat fried chicken and lasagna and these kinds of things at our house. So um, uh, if you like food and you like um, Chillicothe Bible Church, you'll like this class because uh, it'll be a good time. Um, uh, I'm glad you all are here this morning. As we get started, let me ask you a question. Who are your enemies? Who are your enemies? Think about, now, now try and think, now just close your eyes if you need to, all right? Don't keep them shut too long. Um, <laughs> don't want anybody sleeping in here. But, um, but just think about if I were to bring to mind if I were to use the name of this person, that you would immediately get that tightness in the pit of your stomach. And you would have that, I'm going to need to take some Tums uh, reaction right there when I bring up their name or that incident that, that causes you suffering and every time their name is mentioned, it's like somebody took a hold of a scab and ripped it off, and you're bleeding again, because this person is your enemy. Now, after you have that person in mind, think about this. If you could, if you had the power and the ability, what would you like to do to your enemy? Now, me personally, I'm a big fan of the, the movie that came out in 2002, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. How many of you have seen it? Any of you seen it? It's a great movie. It's good. Okay. This, it tells the story of this young sailor who is betrayed by his best friend and then has his fiancée stolen by him. Uh, he is falsely accused, uh, imprisoned. For 14 years in this nasty, nasty prison where every year on your anniversary, Jeffrey Rush comes in and whips you with a horse whip, and it's really not a good time. And one day he escapes and is able to get out. And he has been told over his 14-year st stay uh, where to find a fabulous treasure. And so he escapes, he finds the treasure, and then he spends the next 10 years of his life tracking down everybody who'd done him wrong and working exquisite, premeditated, plotted out, patient revenge. And this movie, you know, I love, I love the movie uh, Les Miserables, where you get to see uh, all of these uh, instances of grace being offered and people's various reactions to it. And it's, that's a fabulous movie. And that appeals to my sense of grace and of mercy. This one appeals to my sense of justice, <laughs> okay, that everybody gets what they really deserve. And you, there's a deeply satisfying aspect to it, right? And you watch this and you go, yeah, you know. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like that moment in The Princess Bride where, he says, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You know, that part, okay? Everybody loves that part. Why? Because it appeals to our sense of right and wrong. 
And we know that justice is about to be done here. What do you think if you had unlimited power and unlimited ability to bring about justice you would do with those who are your enemies? Let me tell you what God does. What God does is he makes covenants with them to establish peace between him and those who have been his enemies. And here in Genesis chapter 9, where we are this morning, we're going to see God make one of the most important covenants that he makes. There are seven covenants in the scriptures. This is the second one. The first one was with Adam. What happened with that one? Well, Adam and Eve broke it, and so they were cast out of the garden. The ground was cursed, and we live in the consequences of that. And then all of their sin just multiplied and magnified over decades and centuries, and it got so bad that God wiped out everybody except Noah and his family and the animals on the ark with them. And God says, I tell you what, we're going to have a second opportunity to be in relationship together. Even though you are my enemy, even though you're a permanent rebel against me, even though every thought of your heart is evil all the time, even then, I'm going to make covenant with you and be at peace. And we're going to figure out a way to operate together. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, you're going to see, you're going to learn about the Noahic covenant, the covenant God made with Noah and his family and the repercussions and outcomes of that, okay? Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my bow, my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind 
on the earth. And so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. We as people, as human beings who are sinners, who live after the fall in the garden, are enemies by nature with God. We are born sinners, and then as soon as we have moral ability, we exercise our nature to rebel and to sin against God. Sin is primarily not an offense against somebody else. It's primarily an offense against God. And by nature, we are God's enemies. And as Ephesians says, by nature, we are therefore children of wrath. We are those who are, pre- who, who are born in, an, in opposition to God. That everything in us wants to do everything that is not right, is not holy, is not glorifying to God, even though that's what God created us to do, to be glorifying and pleasing to Him. And what we see here in Genesis 9 is the continuation of a kind of a recreation story that God is telling uh, through, through Moses, who recorded this for the people of Israel, what you have in Genesis chapter 8 and chapter 9 is a recreation. Uh, a, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you have this account of the original creation, and now this is a recreation. You're going to get some details that are real similar, uh, that are meant to remind you of the earlier original creation in the first two chapters. So, in, if you remember... Uh, just like Adam, Noah is going to be told to be fruitful and multiply. He's going to be told that multiple times. Be fruitful and multiply, increase on the earth. And just like Adam, God tells Noah that you're going to have dominion over the animals. You're going to exercise uh, sovereignty and power over the, cre- the rest of creation, Noah, you and your sons just like Adam did. Only now, it's a little bit different because God had told Noah that he could now eat the animals, whereas before they were not to do that. They were only to eat the plants and the fruits and the vegetables of the earth. Now they're also able to eat the animals. And he says, and now the animals will be afraid of you. Before they weren't, apparently. But now they will be, because the earth has changed, and the world has changed, and now because of sin, there has been judgment come, and so you can't go all the way back to the garden, because now you have Noah and his family who are not like Adam and Eve. They are not sinless. They are sinners. And so the covenant that God makes with them can't be like the one with Adam and Eve. Now it's different, and it takes into account sin and says, now you're able to eat, but don't eat the blood of the animal. You're able to eat the animal, but you're not to take delight in its death and eat its blood. If you're German, you like blood sausage, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to eat that, okay? Um, I'm serious. Uh, You're not to eat that. Because... God has provided the life of the animal, but you're not to take delight in its death and to use uh, that which brought it life for food. 
God makes a covenant with Noah, and it includes, and how many times do we read this? Several, at least, between you and me and all of the creatures on the earth, all the living things, all of the living things. And you have this covenant uh, that includes all human beings and all life. And, and as with all covenants, this covenant, I'm summarizing here a lot of the text, all covenants that God makes with people have four components. You remember what they are? We talked about this several weeks ago, but I don't imagine everybody remembers. Uh, the first one, they're all S words, so you can remember these. Uh, they first of all have signatories or parties to the agreement. Uh, and in this case, it's God primarily because God is the initiator of all of his covenants. And then also Noah and his family and then all of the rest of the creation. So it includes not just human beings, but all of created, all of the created world. So it's between me and the earth, God says. Between me and all life on earth. Between me and you and all the living things. Those are the signatories. Uh, second, there are some stipulations or requirements. This is to be in covenant with me and enjoy the blessings of being part of the covenant with Noah. These are the things you must do. Uh, first of all, you can eat the animals, but not their blood. You're to, you can slaughter an animal, but you ought not take delight in it. Because life before God is sacred. And so we're not to be cruel in how we treat the animal world just because God has given, it, given us dominion over it. Life is sacred. That's number two. And especially human life. So God demands an accounting for every human life. Every human life especially is sacred because all life is sacred, first of all. But second of all, humans are made in the image of God, God says. And so from, for every human life that is taken, God demands an accounting. And he encourages what later develops into human government where there are where governments one of government's primary functions is to bear the sword as paul says it in romans 13 that you punish evildoers who take away life so if their enemies foreign and domestic you punish murderers remember god was gracious to cain and did not put him to death when he murdered his brother Abel. God says, we're not going to do that anymore because if you allow evil to continue like that, what happens is, is that the entire world becomes polluted with evil. And so we're going to set up deliberately structures so that if a person is murdered by another person, you're to execute that person. You're to take their life. And the reason you're to do so is because that person that they murdered is created in the image of God. So we're to have a fair trial followed by a speedy hanging, biblically speaking, if you're a murderer. Pick the method. It doesn't have to be hanging. But you're to put that person to death. Why? Because they have attacked not only another human being who is sacred because they're made in the image of God, 
but because they're made in the image of God, they are attacking indirectly God himself. And so you're to put that person to death. If you have a crocodile who pulls some washerwoman uh, into the Nile and eats her, you're to hunt that crocodile down and kill it. Why? Because that animal destroyed a human being. If a circus elephant goes wild and stomps to death part of the people at the circus, you're to take that elephant out and shoot it dead. Why? Because human life is sacred. Human life is different than animal life. And so we are not in the world of, uh, I think it's Ingrid Newkirk, president of PETA, who says a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, human life is created in the image of God, therefore it has supreme value. And so if someone takes a human life, human or animal, you put them to death. That's part of the covenant. Uh, last, uh, two more. Humans are to fill the earth. That as part of living under the blessing of God's covenant, you're to fill the earth. I do not worry a great deal about, quote, overpopulation. God has created the earth. He has set it up to sustain human life, and he commands us on top of that to fill the planet. We are not close, by the way. You can put all of the people on the entire earth in single-family homes in the state of Texas. You may not know that, but that's reality. We are not close to filling the earth. There are vast stretches of the world that are uninhabited completely. Fill the earth. And then last, that God promises never to destroy the earth again in a flood. Never. Um, third thing, God's covenants always include a sign. And with the covenant with Adam, it was the tree. This, this tree is the sign of the covenant. And, if you, and, and life and death divide at that tree. Here he says the sign of the covenant, he says it multiple times, the sign of the covenant is the rainbow. And literally, the word in Hebrew is the same word... The word that we translate rainbow into English is literally the same word in Hebrew for the battle bow, the war bow. He says here, essentially, I have hung up my bow because how did God go to war against the people of the earth with a flood, with the storm that came? He says the the very thing that appears when the storm appears, I'm going to hang up as a reminder that I'm not going to use the storm to, do, to go to war against you anymore. I'm going to hang my bow up. I'm going to put my, my gun over the fireplace, in a sense, and I'm not going to go to war against the people of the earth with the storm anymore. And so every time you see the rainbow, you can be aware that there's a covenant between us and God that he is not going to destroy the earth with a flood like he did in the days of Noah. And even though the storm may come, there may be lots and lots of water, it's not going to, be, it's not going to turn into a flood as it did in the days of Noah that destroys the whole earth. 
and all of its people. That's the sign. And then finally, in God's covenants, there are also sanctions or things that you are that are punishments or corrections. And I've already mentioned these, that if you take a human life, you are put to death. That's part of the sanctions of the covenant. Uh, if you find someone who is guilty of murder, you're to put them to death. You're not to give them life in prison. I'm sorry. That's a human idea. It's not God's original intention. You're to put them to death. And God unilaterally invites humanity into a covenant with him whereby he promises not to judge us all uh, like he did in Noah's day. And that is an incredibly gracious act on God's part. Because is there evil in the world today? Yes, I think that is a safe assumption. Is there evil universally among all people everywhere? Yes. How come God doesn't destroy us all, all at once? Because of the covenant that God made with Noah. God is still holy. God still judges. But he's not going to judge all of us all at once in a flood like he did then. God is incredibly gracious. Let's see how Noah responds to God's grace. Here. Verses 18 to 23. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah was a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and then they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way, so they would not see their father's nakedness. Now, in verses 18 and 19, you get a reintroduction to Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we're told that Ham is the father of Canaan. And this is a little bit of foreshadowing of what's about to happen. And it's put in there to let us know what kind of person Ham was. And, and so that his actions later are going to make some sense. In verse 20, we read that Noah is described as a man of the soil. Anybody remember who the person previously to this who's described as a man of the soil is? Cain. So as a man of the soil isn't necessarily a good description. Again, this is foreshadowing for what's about to happen. As we read on, we find out that Noah, who is in covenant with God, who was the one that God had made righteous by his grace and saved out of all the people of the earth, is about to respond to this tremendous act of grace and 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 salvation by God with what? Sin. He plants a vineyard, and then he makes some wine, and then he gets drunk and passes out naked in his tent like a hillbilly on vacation. <laughs> this is not a good scenario. Amen? This is not, oh, man, God has been incredibly gracious. I just need to get drunk and lay around naked in my tent. What? Uh. No, but that's what, that's what Noah does. Remember, the Bible records a lot of things. Not all of them are prescriptive. 
this is what you should do. This is one of these things that is descriptive. This is what actually occurred. But it is not an example for us of how to be a righteous person before God. Noah is in sin. And his son Ham uh, sees the old man passed out naked and drunk and then goes and tells his brothers all about it. We're not exactly sure what is going on there. And commentators debate what exactly Ham did uh, and what it means that he saw his father naked and all of that kind of thing. Um, regardless of how, that, how you understand that, it's very clear that he dishonors his father in what he does. And it not just dishonors him, but is not ashamed of the fact because he goes and tells his two brothers about it. And they, out of a sense of family honor and embarrassment, go and cover up the old man walking backwards so they don't have to see him. And... The text mentions twice in these verses that Ham is the father of Canaan. And you may wonder why that's significant. It's significant because if you go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, what you'll see is a whole list of immoral, dishonoring behavior that the Canaanites were into, and which the people of Israel were forbidden to participate in. You're not to do this. It's pagan. It's immoral. It's an abomination before God. And this text, Genesis, you know, records events that happened long before they were recorded. And under the inspiration of God, Moses records these events. And he records the fact twice that Ham is the father of Canaan. Because what is going to happen is, is that Ham's character is going to get magnified in his son, Canaan, the Canaanites. Uh, they're, the, they're the tribes that, that are present in the land of Israel when Israel is about to go in. This is written by Moses. They haven't gone into the land yet, but this is where these people come from. And God uses the people of Israel as the instrument of his justice against these immoral, nasty folks. They're into child sacrifice. They're into all variety of immorality. And God says, you go in and you put them to death. Where did they come from? They come from Ham, who dishonors his father. Noah wakes up, and he is going to prophesy about it. He says this, when Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem, and may God extend the territory of Japheth. And may Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. Noah sobers up, finds out what's happened, and he pronounces curses on Ham's descendants. That may seem a little bit weird, 
But what, what Noah is saying is essentially, you dishonored me. May your son dishonor you. And in fact, that's exactly what Canaan does. The Canaanites are the most wicked group of people in the Old Testament, and God that is why God gives the Israelites the command to wipe them out and not to imitate the practices that they're into. And finally, this chapter, you see the, the, the destinies of these brothers fulfilled in Noah's prophecy. Uh, the Shemites are those who um, are descended from him, include both Arabs and Jews. And the Japhethites, uh, there are a lot of you, Japhethites, they're sitting around here. Um, you are the, you are the Indo-European peoples come from Japheth. Uh, you're Persians and you're Irishmen and you're uh, Indians and those folks are descended from Japheth. And you've got these descendants of Ham, specifically the Canaanites, that engage in the same kind of immoral, nasty behavior that Ham does. And Noah's prophecy then uh, becomes a judgment on his sons, uh, either positive or negative. And as you look at these last two verses in this chapter, they end on a very, what ought to be a very familiar note. Remember Genesis chapter 5? This is written just exactly in parallel to that. Altogether, Noah lived 300... After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and altogether he lived 950 years. What? And then he died. So guess what? Sin, we've had the recreation, now we've had another fall. And the son of the person who is the figure that is central to the recreation, Noah, has engaged in great sin, just like Cain did. And so Noah's life gets summarized in exactly the same way as everybody else before the flood. Sin has come back, even though... We're in covenant with God now, even though there's a lot of good things that are happening. Sin is right back. And we're right back, in a sense, to where we started before the flood. And so, in a couple chapters later, you're going to see that God is going to make out of humanity an entirely new people. We're not going to get there quite yet. Because we're going to finish chapter 10 next week, and then we're going to, take, going to go on hiatus from Genesis for a, for a couple of months, and then we'll pick it back up. I uh, don't want anybody to get bored, and uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna change from Genesis uh, to Second Peter and look at the last days and how you're to live in the last days. But some some just some just a few quick things here, possible significance of this passage to your life. Number one. It gives us some principles for creation care. We as, as people are entrusted with the care of the world that God has given us and made us vice regents of. Uh, 
you know, there, there's kind of a spectrum of attitudes that people take. Either, hey, the world is ours, we're the top predator, let's, you know, let's just use and abuse the earth as we see fit. That isn't a biblical idea. Uh, you're to use the earth and its things to support life, but you're not to take delight in destroying anything. And we find that in this passage. It gives us also the biblical, the biblical basis for government and names its primary function, which is to protect people from those who would kill them. Primary function of government is to protect its people from being murdered by foreign or domestic enemy. It's the primary function. Where do we get that from? Genesis chapter 9. What are we to do with murderers? Put them to death. Genesis chapter 9. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 9. Uh, last thing, it reminds us, this passage ought to remind us, that not only do we have this covenant with God, but that we are the beneficiaries of another covenant with God. Remember, I said there are seven covenants that we have in the Bible. The last one is the new covenant. And it has, just like the covenant God made with Noah, four parts. It has a sign, actually signs. We're going to participate in part of the signs of the covenant right now here this morning in taking communion, which points us back to the primary sign of the covenant, which is the cross. That at the cross, God makes covenant with people that by the blood of His Son spilled on our behalf, we have peace with God and are able to be in relationship with Him. God wipes away our sin by covering it with the blood of the Son. And then in the resurrection, this is the other sign, the empty tomb. In the empty tomb, we have new life. And, of course, there are also stipulations. There are terms for entering into this covenant, right? You place your trust in Jesus' death on the cross and in His resurrection as making the payment for your sin and as giving you the resurrection power of Jesus to live a new life through the Holy Spirit. And these are the stipulations that, you're, that you enter into the covenant by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then you are changed from the inside out so that sin, while it still occurs, is, a, is on the decline in your life. There are also sanctions. And boy, are there sanctions. If you reject the new covenant, you go to hell eternally. That's a, about as severe a sanction as I can think of. Either enter into the covenant, have new life, receive uh, adoption into the family of God, or alternatively, go to hell. And then there are also signatories. Many of you are signatories to the new covenant that God offers. I'm a signatory. I hope that everyone here would be a signatory. But that's a question that you have to ask yourself. Am I a signatory? Have I signed up? 
have I put my name on the dotted line where God says, be in covenant with me, come to peace, and I won't be at war with you anymore, and you won't be a rebel against me anymore. God is a covenant-making God, a God who gives grace so that we can be at peace with him. Are you at peace with God this morning? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, this is a, a challenging passage with some challenging material that's in it. One thing we know for sure is that we will always be in need of your grace and your covenant making with us. Because, Father, even 